Hey everyone, Eric Grenier here, and welcome to the 42nd episode of the Writ Podcast. The writs have been drawn up, and yes, some of them might have even been dropped. The Ontario election is now in full swing, with voters going to the polls on June 2nd. So to help set you up for this election campaign, I'm joined today by David Coletto, CEO of Abcus Data, and Sabrina Nanji of Queen's Park Observer. Hi, David and Sabrina. Good How are you doing? So let's go through each of the parties. That's how I wanted to structure this discussion. We'll start with each of the parties, kind of what they need to do in this campaign, what their strategies are. And we'll start with, of course, the incumbent government, Doug Ford's PCs. Uh, David, uh, you know, you've done polling in a lot of different election campaigns now. As an incumbent government, how do you think the PCs stack up against some of the other ones you've seen in the past? I think they're in a pretty good place. Um, there's a few metrics I look at. What's the desire for change in the province? That's kind of the most important from an incumbent perspective, which in Ontario today is far lower than it was in 2018 when Kathleen Wynne was defeated and is about in line with what we saw federally in the last federal election. Um, and so there is a sizable group who want to see him, the premier and the PCs removed, but not sufficient. And it's almost like when we, when we follow up and say, well, what kind of change do you want? Even a third of those who want to see you know, definitely want change, say not much change from where we've gone. So it's, they just don't like maybe the people running the government and the policy direction hasn't been that offensive to them. So desire for change. And, and then, you know, how people feel about the premier himself, the leader, um, Doug Ford's, you know, positives have improved uh, markedly over the last number of months, more people view him positively than negatively. Uh, in our polling anyways, it's the only leader who has that. And so if I just look at those two, um, the PCs are in a good place. The last point I'll make is the issue set. Top cost of living is, you know, by far the top issue. And I think it's an issue that plays well for the, for the Tories. Uh, Sabrina, so if there doesn't seem to be a huge desire for change just yet, um, you know, what is the PC strategy here, at least from what you've seen? Is it about being on the defense or going on the attack? Uh, I, I guess it depends on on how you're viewing it, but uh, you know I, I'm on the same page as David. Like uh, this is theirs to lose. I think you know the recent string of polls are basically putting them on track to win. Uh, you know a second mandate. I think the bigger question might be whether that's a majority or a minority government, uh, and we can kind of see that uh, a little bit in you know how the Ford government's already campaigning in these early days. You know uh, day one when the writ uh, was drawn up. You know they. Uh, they were in Brampton, the 905, uh, a lot of seats up for grabs there that can make or break you in terms of majority or minority. Uh, you know, uh, he was pumping up the, the 413. Uh, we still don't have a lot of details on the costing of that. But again, I don't know if voters are really paying attention to the fine print of it when you've got the premier up there saying he can save you some time on your commute. Uh, I, I'm sure that's that's going to win uh, win them some votes. Uh, and, and then, uh, you know, I think also it, it We'll talk about the opposition parties, but it's kind of putting them in a bit of a tougher place. Like the Ford government isn't really rocking the boat right now. Uh, the budget that came out last week, which is standing as their re-election platform because there wasn't enough time to pass it in the House, like there were no big surprises in there. Maybe a, a tax cut for folks earning up to 50K, uh, which had already kind of leaked out the, the night before anyway. So uh, I think it's more the the message, the underlying message that they're trying to send out is, you know, let's not rock the boat. We're uh, coming out of a pandemic, uh, even though no one's really talking much about the pandemic, none of the political parties. And maybe that's a, a bit of a mistake on the opposition side who had had a 
like trouble getting their messages out during the pandemic, trying to capitalize on some of the Ford government's mistakes. Uh, and now the challenge for them is going to be reminding them of, you know, some of the, the mishandling of that file, especially, you know, long term care, uh, when the premier promised to put an iron ring around around that sector. And, you know, we saw how devastated it was. So I think uh, David's right, you know, affordability is the top issue. And that plays well to the, the so called small C conservative uh, brand. And, uh, you know, whether that's anything from housing to, um, you know, saving some some money on, on the gas tax, which, OK, is temporary. We need to give them another mandate for that one. Uh, a lot of caveats there. But I think that generally speaking, they're, they're feeling pretty good. Uh, Sabrina mentioned some of those issues, you know, that they're trying to address with uh, tax cuts and affordability, you know, a highway that'll help with commuters and, and saving time and cost. David, these issues, they work well for the PCs. And, you know, we'll talk about Del Duca's $1 transit uh, promise, which speaks to a very specific group, but Doug Ford speaking to a completely other group who need their car to get to work, who can't maybe always work from home, um, which post-pandemic is, is really divided the electorate, I think, more. So it's there's more niche groups. As I think the PCs put it, they're, they're, they're the government for the people who shower in the evening uh, or after work, not before work. And, and that... That I think has been a very effective message. Um, the other thing I'll say about the PCs is, at least initially, they're not running a defensive campaign, right? You don't get the sense that they are on a defense, defending themselves from, from deep you know, criticisms of their handling of the government broadly over the last four years. Even though if we you know, rewind back to the 2019, Doug Ford was the most unpopular premier in the country. I, we regularly had, you know, 60 plus percent of Ontarians saying they had a negative view of him and disapproved of the government. That's not the place they're in today. I think today most people are generally satisfied uh, with, with the approach the government's taken. And it's because they, as I think Sabrina put it perfectly, haven't rocked the boat. They, they've, they've meant to just... Um, you know, be effective and 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 connect with people in those communities, suburbs, uh, rural parts of the province, and in some parts of the larger cities who just want to get on with it. And I think a positive message of you know just get it done fits perfectly with with the premier's brand and the, what the PCs have done over the last few years. Sabrina, how do you think Doug Ford fits as a incumbent defending a record versus you know 2018 when he was a challenger? in an election where people wanted change. Like, how does he fit into that role? Do you think it's a good role for him in terms of his comfort level? Well, I think that like Doug Ford has said it himself, you know, that he's always in campaign mode. He's jumping from one to the next. Uh, and, you know, just at his rally uh, this, uh, this week, I'm already losing concept of time in, in campaign mode. But just at, at his rally, you know, he was uh, raising the specter of Kathleen Wynne. And, and there were like that was that elicited the loudest boos uh, from the, the PC friendly crowd there. So, you know, it, they are very much. Um, not so much on the defensive as maybe they were in 2018, you know, um, uh, just criticizing the liberal, then liberal rulers about, you know, their spending. And now Doug Ford is pumping himself up as a big spender, someone who says yes to these projects. So like, yeah, what a difference four years and a pandemic has made for him. Uh, but, but, you know, they, they are, they are attacking their, their rivals too. And um, I think that the message is a little clearer. Like to, today we saw an attack ad against Andrea Horvath when uh, we've sort of seen them, you know, just, uh, 
focused their aim on the liberal leader, Stephen Del Duca, who's kind of now in the polls overtaking the NDP as, you know, on track to form official opposition. Uh, I think that probably speaks to a, a strong liberal brand still in Ontario. Uh, but now they're gunning for Andrew Horvath and the NDP. And, uh, you know, a lot of liberals are saying they, they think that's smart uh, because it, it probably will put the spotlight on her a little bit more. And of course, their line is that, you know, she'll be a disaster for the province. Uh, she's not ready to, to govern uh, that, that those old adages that, that, you know, we've heard about the NDP, uh, you know, even at the federal level. So uh, they, they are playing defense to some point uh, as well. But I think that their message is kind of coming across a little more clearly than the other parties like Andrea Horvath and the NDP have been a bit more reactive. Uh, they've their messages have kind of fallen flat, I think, with voters. And there's a lot of similarities with the liberals uh, in terms of their their policies that they're putting out there. Uh, and so it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what happens with with Andrea Horvath, this is her fourth kick at the can as as NDP leader, uh, and you know what this means for her fate if she uh, potentially loses official opposition. You know uh, if the grassroots will want to keep her around. There's already buzz about potential replacements. You know some high profile folks like Kristen Wong Tam running in in Toronto, uh, and and Marit Stiles, who, who's always uh, you know sort of punching above her weight as education critic. Um, so I, I think that you know for for them they they're getting the message across a little more clearer. Like Del Duca has been really good at, uh, you know, grabbing headlines of the day. But again, we don't have a full platform, not even a fully costed platform from either of the opposition, leading opposition parties right now. So uh, campaigns matter and it's still early days. So I guess we'll see how it all shakes out. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about the NDP then, because they are third place in the polls um, and they've been in third place for a little bit of time, really since 2018. There's been very few moments when they were clearly in second, when they were challenging the PCs. David, why do you think that the NDP hasn't been able to sustain the support that they had in the 2018 election? I think there's two factors. One is Kathleen Wynne is no longer premier and, and that that anchor that pulled the Liberal Party down is, is gone. So, you know, in the absence of someone that many progressives even um, just disliked or just thought it was time for a change um, is no longer there. So that contrast is gone. Uh, two, she was opposition leader during a pandemic where she got very little um, opportunity, I think. You know, Ontario politics, although Sabrina covers it very well and, 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 and deeply, often doesn't get as much attention in Ontario as provincial elections in other uh, provinces do. Uh, we, we seemingly only turn on when we have to, for whatever reason. Um, and I don't think she's, she's found the purpose for the New Democrats. Like what, what makes them relevant today? I think there's lots of issues that could have made them relevant. I think healthcare, long-term care, education, these are all things that people signal to us they, they're worried about. It's not the top issue. But it's the areas where the, the premier and the PCs haven't performed very well in people's minds. Despite that, they haven't gained any traction. So I think it, it's the perennial challenge for the New Democrats is how do, we, how do we remain and how do we make ourselves relevant in an environment where the natural place for Ontarians is to start either on Team Blue or Team Red. And that is always the fight for New Democrats in Ontario, whether federal or provincial politics. Well, David, Andrea has been, Andrea Horvath has been the leader for 13 years. And, you know, you did some polling uh, last month. And, you know, her numbers in terms of name recognition are certainly better than Stephen Del Duca or Mike Schreiner, but they seem still pretty low. Um, what do you make of the fact that it's been 
nearly a decade and a half, and you still have a big proportion of Ontarians who either say they don't know her, or if they say they know her, they just have a vague notion of who she is. Yeah, I think it's just a, a, her inability to break through and, and, and remain relevant to people in their lives, right? That she campaigned very well last time. She started that campaign, very similar place, not that well-known, not well-defined, but because she was, people were looking for an alternative to Kathleen Wynne, who they agreed with on key issues, she, she easily fit that. And so people then gravitated to her. Whereas today, you know, fewer people think the NDP has a chance of winning this election than the Liberals. So she's not seen as the natural alternative to Doug Ford, even though she is the opposition leader. And, um, you know, I get the sense that people don't really know her. Like they don't at a deeper level know what makes her tick or what she's passionate about or what her you know, her, her, her purpose is, um, and 14 years in 14 years, you, sh you should have been able to do that, I guess, is my, my answer. And so, um, Del Duca, we understand why people don't know him. Um, he's new, he's, they didn't have official party status, but I'm not sure there's a good excuse for Ms. Horvath being in the position she is as this campaign starts. Uh, Sabrina, we've heard uh, some language from the NDP that, you know, they finished first or second in 100 ridings, that they're only 10 seats short of government. Um, it seems to be, to me, putting the cart before the horse a little bit to already assume you already have the 40 seats in the bag. Uh, for the New Democrats, from what you've seen and, and the discussions you've had, are they playing defense in the 40 seats that they have? Are they trying to hold them before they've been thinking about making gains? Yeah, uh, and I mean, even it's not even really forty; uh, it's it's thirty eight, right? Because Paul Miller and Kevin Yard, um, Brampton and, and Hamilton reps uh, were were booted or crossed or lost their nomination. Controversial, yeah. yeah, controversial circumstances. Uh, but but you're right, and and that's kind of like their their strategy as, as like campaign director Michael Balagas had, had told us reporters is that they're um, going to be pushing really hard in uh, ridings that they they want to pick up that they they don't already hold. And so I think yeah, it's certainly um, you know raising questions of if that's a, a good strategy. But I think they feel they they feel very confident right now. You know they're uh, they've got a, a major cash arsenal. You know they've uh, after getting official opposition uh, in the last round, they've been able to fundraise more than they have in the past. Uh, and to, to David's point, they're kind of focusing their campaign on Andrea. You know, it's all about Andrea. They're going to be um, pumping her up. But uh, again, I guess we don't know if that's really the, the best strategy there. I think, um, I guess if I was advising them, uh, something that they've kind of been trying to do is highlight, you know, the people that are being left behind by the Ford government. And, uh, you know, maybe that will kind of differentiate themselves a little bit from the liberals too. you know, um, there wasn't much mention of autism in in the the PC's budget slash re-election platform, you know, that's always a political hot potato. Uh, Doug Ford hasn't said that he's going to do much to raise uh, ODSP, the, the disability rates. And that one is, uh, you know, less than $1,200 a month. You know, what does that even really get you here? So I think that's kind of maybe where they can play it. But it almost seemed like Andrea was maybe talking about strategic voting a little bit, which you're right, it's early days for that. There was a bit of drama uh, in 2018 with, you know, um, the Liberals saying the NDP 
NDP will just be be worse almost than the conservatives or maybe, you know, kind of suggesting that idea uh, when, when she says that that we came in first or second in 100 out of 124 ridings. But again, that was, you know, change election. Uh, we kind of all were expecting the liberals to get trounced and, and they did. Uh, and but but clearly, like the liberal brand is still going strong. So right now, yeah, the, the more compelling race is the one for second place, I think. Yeah, and, and it was four Eric, years ago as well. But yeah, David, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you look at our, our our most recent survey, we asked people at the end, regardless of who you support now, which political party do you most identify with? Uh, the progressive conservatives are at 29, the liberals at 26, and the NDP at 17. So again, we always have to remind ourselves, Ontario is not a natural place for new Democrats to perform very well. When they do break through, say 2011 federally, uh, 2018 provincially, 1990, <laughs> I was nine when Bob Ray won. Um, those were exceptional elections, um, not the norm. And so for the New Democrats, I think they have to put Andrea Horvath as their, as their lead because, again, people's instinct isn't to vote NDP. They need to be given a reason beyond uh, 2018 was a lot of liberals said, I'm just not voting for Kathleen Wynne this time. It's just time for a change. That, that factor has gone. And so they need something else. It's a little bit like the 2015 federal election campaign. We heard the same kind of language from the NDP. Um, and you're right. If if it's not the natural home, uh, I think it, it's a lot more risky to take the, it for granted that the votes that you had last time are still with you. Right? There has to be work put into that. And when you're looking at where the polls are now, that's showing exactly that, the NDP being in third. So let's move on to the Liberals. Um, you know, they are coming from seven seats, worst result in the history of the party. It wasn't just a bad result. It was a catastrophic one. Um, Sabrina, this, uh, the Liberals are, you know, they've making some big swings in terms of policy proposals. They put some big things on the table to try to get some attention. Um, what's their strategy to try to move from seven seats to official opposition status, maybe 30 and maybe government with 50 plus? Uh, What's their overall goal here? Do they do they think that the votes that they have right now in the polls are going to stick with them for the rest of this campaign? Well, I, I'm I'm waiting to see the the full platform, and I know it's still early days yet, but we've kind of got like I think it's a little rare that we've gotten the other parties platforms, you know, so early in the campaign. And of course, the liberals have been putting stuff out piecemeal. Um, they're good at grabbing headlines of the day. But uh, in terms of like a lasting message, I don't know if we've really got that yet. Uh, their campaign slogan is the choice is yours, which is kind of like a, a duh statement. Um, Seems passive aggressive but- to me. It's very, <laughs> it's very like you want to make a bad choice, go ahead. But uh, the choice is yours. I don't know. There's something <laughs> weird to it about it to me. Yeah, but but they're trying to define Del Duca, right? And there's already been attacks against him um he's got a lot of political baggage i think i've mentioned uh, on this podcast before you know that uh he put go stations in in his own writing when against expert advice uh, got called out by the auditor general for that uh he tried to skirt local rules for to get a, a pool in his backyard and now we're constantly seeing the ndp and the pcs you know tie him to the win era some of those unpopular decisions like pr- partially privatizing hydro one that type of thing so uh it's it's interesting to see how the liberals have responded to that now that we're actually in the campaign period they're putting out some ads trying to define del duca not much mention of his political opponents, but, you know, there was uh, a couple of spots this week, you know, uh, showing him cooking with his family, cracking dad jokes, uh, just trying to paint him as like an every and every man, uh, which is kind of like Doug Ford's uh, bit 
too, you know, uh, for the people if I can revive that one. Uh, and, and so I think that they, they're trying to paint the themselves as the, the best alternative to the Ford, uh, conservatives, you know, uh, they they are painting Doug Ford as someone who is incompetent. I think they keep reminding people about some of the pandemic era mistakes that the Ford government was making. Uh, you know, stop the circus is is, a, is another line that they have out there. And so uh, they're also you know painting Andrea Horvath as someone who's gunning for official opposition again. You know, saying that she's her and the NDP are attacking the Liberals just as much as they're attacking the Conservatives. And so she's playing for second place, whereas Del Duga is you know, playing for government, of course, it's like a huge feat to go from uh, seven seats to official opposition even or even government. And so we'll see if they can do that. But there's there's a lot of close races in the GTA. Um, and that's obviously a seat rich area. And so I think we'll, we'll see him, you know, pounding the pavement there a little bit more. I think even his own seat in, in Vaughn Woodbridge uh, might be a bit of a close race as well. You know, we've got a minister, Michael Tobolo there representing it. So I think for them, it's going to come down to, to the, the regional races as well. Uh, David, how real is the liberal support? Um, it's a good question. I think it's hard to, to gauge you know, how firm it is. Um, I think it's there. Again, I think uh, more, as I said earlier, more people uh, self-identify as liberal than New Democrat. It, they're, they're close with the progressive conservatives. Uh, the federal liberals have consistently done well over the last four, uh, three elections in Ontario. Um, so I think there's a huge opportunity. And what I think's happened, at least at the start of this campaign, is things have reset back to, um, you know, where they would probably be normally with the exception that Doug Ford's polling better than than what conservative politicians typically uh, uh, perform, I think, because of his own personal brand and his ability to expand uh, the tent. But, you know, keep in mind, uh, the federal liberals won the popular vote in Ontario. Um, but among those who are voting, who voted federal liberal, only two thirds say they'd vote Ontario liberal today. So uh, about equal numbers are kind of splitting one to the New Democrats and uh, one to the, to the progressive conservative. So, and having the prime minister, you know, beside the premier, the, the PC premier at uh, an event the day before the elections called, is it helping consolidate that liberal vote? So I think the liberals, it, it, there's, there's certainly the opportunity. Um, people have not shut the door to voting liberal this time and their inclination is to do that. What this campaign needs to do is ratchet up the desire for change and remind liberal oriented voters and maybe some other new Democrats that if you want to see Doug Ford defeated, we're your best choice. It's the normal liberal playbook. The only difference is in 2015, when they accomplished this federally, they had Justin Trudeau as leader. Uh, Stephen Del Duca does not have the name recognition, the charisma, uh, you know, or, or the connection with voters that Justin Trudeau did. So it's, it's, it's in a way an impressive place that they're already in second. Um, and in some polls, earlier, although I think the gap is growing, uh, we're only, you know, four or five points away. Um, that in itself would be a success if that's how this campaign ends. You mentioned, David, um, you know, trying to activate liberal voters and NDP voters. Can they pull votes away from the PCs or are they more or less in the same playbook, playbook as the Trudeau liberals, that it's primarily on the center left? Well, I think there are some federal liberals right now that would go vote PC. Um, and so I don't think we need, I think we have to as much as we love talking left, right, I don't think that's really what this is. This is about, you know, particularly voters in the GTA, GTAHA, because um, I think you have to extend that now. People who, 
who would normally be normal suburban voters. I think you can include even like Peterborough and Orangeville into kind of that, that world again. Um, they're looking at this much more, uh, less partisan and more on, on issues and, and, and the kind of approach they want from government. The other thing is, you know, campaigns are all about issue salience. It's like, what's the most important issue? And then voters are often going to make a judgment on, on that, that, you know, sometimes say it's the ballot question. Um, in the last federal election, the federal liberals effectively made for many voters in the suburban parts of this province, um, focus on guns, focus on crime, focus on issues they were strong on, um, and the conservatives were weak. I think the big thing the liberals need to do is to, as best they can, um, remind voters what the first two years of Doug Ford were like, and maybe even for those that remember what Mike Harris was like, because that's the only way, that's the Achilles heel of conservatives in Ontario, is this fear of cuts, cuts to healthcare, cuts to education. The Tories have effectively, um, to not maybe not the best term, inoculate themselves from that in the last few years and in this most recent budget, but that fear is always there. And if they're able to sort of wedge that open, that becomes the thing that I think brings some of those traditionally liberal voters back into the, the liberal tent. Yeah, it wouldn't be an Ontario campaign unless you're campaigning against Mike Harris, Bob Ray, or uh, Dalton McGuinty, some other some other leader that was active in the 1990s. So yeah. let's move on to the to the Greens. Um, Sabrina, you know, Mike Schreiner has a seat, so now he he will be at the debates. He'll be at the Northern debate uh, next week. He'll be at the, the main debate uh, later on. Um, how serious are they taking the possibility of increasing their hold? Uh, I think very seriously, you know, I think they're, they're very um, happy about the the last four years, you know, I think us in the media, even like we are, we're always saying Mike Schreiner punches above his weight. He's, he's a very effective opposition uh, critic, especially, you know, just being the sole green MPP there. So uh, I think what they're going to do is pull their resources, which was kind of their strategy in 2018 to, you know, um, pulling a bunch of their, uh, you know, their money, their volunteers in Guelph, which is where Mike Schreiner represents in order to win that seat. And it, it worked for them. Obviously, you know, the previous rep was a liberal change election, as we say, so that was was a factor as well. But uh, you know, I, I think that just Mike Shiner's tour, uh, you know, his campaign launch just kind of shows you where they're gunning for. Um, I thought it was actually kind of cute, just as an aside, that he had an electric vehicle convoy, unlike, uh, you know, the, the Yes Express big bus uh, or the unnicknamed NDP bus that, that the other parties are running. Uh, the Liberals have a have a van. It's not a minivan that was the joke of you know their caucus could could fit a minivan and and, and the conservatives called them the minivan party but Shriner has an EV convoy uh this week and he was uh, in Toronto you know University Rosedale which is where Diane Sachs is running the former environmental watchdog very high profile candidate for them um of course uh you know it's it's a, a represented by the NDP but a, a liberal bastion you know previously so it'll still be a tough race but definitely more competitive with with Sachs there uh they were in Beaches East York and uh you know then Dufferin Caledon which is a you know a spot that's environmentally sensitive and there's a lot of proposals to uh, weaken that a little bit, let's say. So I think we're going to see more of that. I think they're also going to be pushing hard in Kitchener, um, which in September elected Ontario's first green MP. So I think for them, they're, they're picking and choosing their races. Uh, and 
you know, it, they're definitely trying to grow their caucus of one. And if you if you talk to them, they're, they're feeling very confident about it. I think certainly having Mike Schreiner on the debate stages uh, over the next two weeks will uh, will be a big leg up for them, too. David, do you see opportunities for them? I, I, I see some. I mean, it's 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 probably the hardest job right now is, is to make uh, the Greens uh, a viable option for people. Um, you know, 30 percent say they're open to voting Greens. So there's you know, it's not it's the smallest of the of the four largest parties, but not insignificant. Now, how do you convert that uh, potential is is usually none of the above are good enough. So I'm going to kind of protest vote or or, or or give my vote to the Greens Two. Uh, environmental or climate change issues have to be salient, and they're not as salient in this election as we've seen federally or or even provincially in the past. And so that's his, that's Mike, and he's not known um, despite being in the House. Um, so I think I think those are the big challenges for the Greens, and I think their strategy of finding a good candidate and and running in a in a, in a race and putting all their resources there has worked well in the past. And I I suspect you know that's that's their best strategy. This is not going to be a green wave election. This is not going to, because, you know, we'll be, we'll be surprised if, you know, climate change is, is discussed much at all um, because Doug Ford doesn't want to talk about it. And I'm not certain the other opposition party leaders want to, because it's not going to be the thing that de- defines uh, how a lot of people are voting this time. And we'll close off with uh, some of the smaller parties, uh, the Ontario Party, the New Blues, um, seeming to try to replicate some of Bernier's success. David, do you think they have the potential to have any impact on this? I think around the edges, maybe. I think if, if, if this race gets closer um, and Doug Ford is, you know, and the PCs are, are competing strongly with, say, the Liberals in some GTA ridings and, and the New Blue Party takes one or two points, that, that could be um, um, you know, definitive. I just don't get the sense that, that it's going to matter all that much. I mean, last time you had, um, although the Trillium party, I guess, didn't run many candidates elsewhere, but you had other kind of parties on the right trying to uh, eat into the PCs. I don't get the sense that there's a lot of unhappiness among kind of movement conservatives with Doug Ford. I, I, I suspect they're not thrilled with some of the choices he's made. And that budget being the biggest spending budget in Ontario history doesn't align nicely with a conservative ideology normally, but they would much rather have Doug Ford win again than uh, any of the other two. And that's going to probably keep the coalition together. Yeah. Um, Sabrina, do you hear any concern from the PCs about these other parties? Uh, not much. I mean, they're not sweating it. I think maybe Cambridge, just because um, Belinda Carhelios, uh, the new blue, one of the new blue founders, uh, Tory spinoff parties, you know, she, uh, she, she's the incumbent there. I think it's impressive, you know, for the new blue party, regardless of what you think about their politics or policies, that they've been able to, you know, run a, a full slate of 124 candidates. You know, that's impressive for any political startup. Uh, but also, like to David's point, you know, a lot of these spinoffs uh, came about because people were unhappy with the pandemic rules and restrictions. Things are lifting right now. You know, the weather is getting better. So obviously, you know, if things get worse, that could be a curveball in all of this. But it doesn't really leave much of a soapbox for these uh, these these parties to stand on right now. Yeah. And, and I mean, one we'll see if Max Bernier ventures onto the campaign trail at all. There's, you know, don't underestimate that, that that deep-seated anger, but we're not talking about it anymore. There's no more restrictions. And so their purpose is not as clear. I think that's a good point, Sabrina. 
Yeah. All right. Well, you know, there's going to be lots more to discuss over the campaign. So I look forward to uh, speaking to both of you again. So have a good election campaign and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, Eric. Thanks. David Coletto is the CEO of Abacus Data, and Sabrina Nanji covers Ontario politics at QP Observer. You can sign up for her newsletter at qpobserver.com. That'll be it for the RIT podcast this week. During the Ontario election campaign, I will have weekly bonus episodes of the RIT podcast that are exclusive to subscribers to the RIT.ca. I put one out earlier this week. So if you'd like to listen to those episodes, please head over to the site to subscribe. All right, until next week, happy Mother's Day, and thanks for listening.